welcome everyone to tonight's B and E training on how to share the gospel with Mormons. And I am so excited um, to be hosting tonight's training. We have a lot in store for you all tonight. My name is Allie Braun, and I'm the director of special projects at International Commission. I have had the pleasure of serving at International Commission for two and a half years, and I um, do these trainings. I also help out with our fundraising events. I help with marketing and other virtual and in-person events. So if you have any questions at all or ever want to contact me, you can reach me at allison.braun at icworld.org. Um, but I know there's a lot of new people on here tonight. So if this is your first time joining us for either an e, &E training or for any International Commission training, our mission is to equip and enable believers worldwide to conduct church-based evangelism projects so that we can reach unbelievers and make disciples. So everything we do revolves around this equipping and enabling strategy. And so that's where the E&E &E comes from in our E&E &E training. You are here tonight to be equipped and enabled to share the gospel with Muslims. So um, we have a strong emphasis in the Great Commission and evangelism. We believe that every believer of Christ should be sharing their faith and making disciples, just as it said um, in God's word. So thank you for joining us tonight, because that is what we are here to do. I think you mean Mormon, Sally. What did I say? Muslims. Oh, my goodness. If you were on last month, you know we taught how to share the gospel with Muslims. So I apologize. Thank you, Lynn, for correcting me. But how to share the gospel with Mormons, of course. There you go. Otherwise, so, I'm going home because that's not my expertise. People are like, what? So a few other additional resources we have at IC. In addition to our E&E &E training, we have a free evangelism toolkit that has various tools where you can learn um, how to share your testimony in just a few seconds, how to use um, your hand or a piece of paper, just other simple ways to share the gospel. So we have that available for you on our website. We also have an E&E &E show on um, our YouTube channel. And we also have a book. It's a book full of stories from around the world of what God is doing. Yeah. So if you're interested in any additional resources, those are here for you. So we are focusing on Mormonism tonight. And so just a few quick facts about Mormonism. Um, it's the fastest growing religion in the United States, and it's the fourth largest religion in the U.S. with six million members. There's more than 14 million Mormons worldwide. Half of them live outside of the United States. And um, every young Mormon man is expected to serve a two-year mission overseas or in another city proselytizing, which is really aided to the growth of the Mormon church um, more than doubling over the past three, four decades. So this is, this is a fast growing religion. So that's why we want to focus on it tonight. Um, but before we get started in that, just simple reminders of why we're here. I mean, what is the gospel? Why do we need to share it? What happens if we don't? The gospel is the good news that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And the Bible says that if we confess and believe that Jesus is Lord and that he raised from the dead, we will be saved. So that's what we need to be sharing with people. That's in John 3, 16. And of course, Jesus' final words to us before he ascended into heaven, he gave us the great commission found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that's the good news. That's why we need to share it. But what happens if we don't? It says in Matthew 24 that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony. Um, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So essentially, if you read that verse backward, it says the end will not come until this gospel of the kingdom has been preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. So clearly that has not been done yet. Our work is still here for, um, for us as believers. We need to proclaim the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. So I share this few facts about Mormonism 
And maybe you're here tonight. Maybe, maybe you have a Mormon friend or family member. Maybe you've never um, met a Mormon before, but there's four reasons why this particular training and why this religion should matter to you, why it should matter to all of us. And the first is simply education. It's important to learn about what other people believe so that we can contextualize the gospel in such a way that um, the hearers can better learn and understand. The next is compassion. Mormons claim the name of Christ. They claim to be Christians, but sadly, they believe in a very false doctrine. And so our hearts should go out to them when we see them, when we see um, the guys in the matching shirts knocking on your door, someone else's door, they are proselytizing a false gospel and we have the truth. So we need to share it with them. Next is location. So a Mormon could come to your door. Um, they're very intentional in the US and abroad. So even if um, maybe you go overseas, which is the fourth point is mission. Um, you could go to a place where there's many Mormons or they could come to your door. So really these last two go hand in hand because God could be calling you to go to a place to share the gospel and make disciples, but there's already Mormons there where we then have to um, confront them with the truth. And it's very, very tricky as you'll hear from um, our guest presenter tonight. She's gonna to be sharing a little bit about her testimony and all about the Mormon religion. It's very fascinating, um, but yeah, there's really a lot there that is very important for us to know and to learn and to express compassion to those that we meet. It is my pleasure to introduce tonight's presenter. It is Dr. Lynn K. Wilder. She's Emeritus Professor at Florida Gulf Coast University and once tenured professor at Brigham Young University. She's a former Latter-day Saint and now biblical Christian. And because her life has been radically transformed by grace, it is her passion to introduce the many people hurting emotionally and relationally to the God of grace and to share the peace of a grace-filled life. With a doctorate in education and emphasis in emotional and behavior disorders, Lynn is a researcher, scholar, journal editor, and author of more than 60 refereed journal publications and five books, including Unveiling Grace, um, which is her most popular book. And I just finished reading this book over the summer, and wow, it is amazing and it's amazing testimony of God's grace in her life and her family's life and a real look inside of the Mormon religion. Lynn's husband, Michael, and her, they founded a Christian ministry called Ex-Mormon Christians United <clears throat> for Jesus, and that can be found at unveilingmormonism.com. Featured in Christian publications, videos, radio, um, the Wilders, which include um, her husband, Michael, her, and their four children, they frequently travel and speak, and you can also hear Dr. Wilder on the Unveiling Grace podcast. So, she is a very busy woman. She has a lot of resources. This is, this is truly her heart. So I can't wait for you to hear from her, to hear a little bit more of her story and the ministry that she has. And so you are really hearing from the best, in my opinion, um, qualified people to speak on how to share the gospel with Mormons. So Lynn, welcome. And we would love to hear from you this evening. Wow, Allie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't recognize that person, but thank you anyway. <laughs> oh my goodness, girl. Okay, let's begin here. Well, first of all, I love that you use the word context, right? You can't really share the gospel with somebody if you don't know them, if you don't know who they are, what their culture is, what kind of things they believe. And as much as we think we know Mormons, because they say they're Christians too, they're very, very, they're a very closed culture. And um, they're very unique. And it's helpful to know some things about them. First of all, you want to love them. So Mormon missionaries come to your door and Christians have a tendency to close the door and say, I don't want what you're selling. Or, you know, my son said they had bottles thrown at their heads. Somebody tried to run them over with their car. Um, of course, people slam the door on them. And sometimes Christians will say to them, you're in a cult, you're going to hell. Now get off my doorstep and don't come back. 
right? And yet God sent someone who you see as a non-believer right to your door who wants to talk about God and you send them away. Do we not love them enough to share the gospel of grace with them? I have to tell you that I was a convert to Mormonism at age 24 and I grew up Christian. And I had Christian family and Christian neighbors in Indiana, and I worked with Christian people. And I don't recall one time in the 30 years that I was Mormon that one Christian ever even started a conversation with me about faith. And literally, when I got radically changed, I went through this anger stage, like, why didn't anybody tell me? And so it really is important to get to know and to love these people. So let's talk a little bit about the Mormon culture. They have to have church leaders and they are revered. Literally, we stood up when the Mormon prophet entered the room. It's almost rock star kind of thing. You want to touch them. You want to be near them. They tend toward political conservatism, although that's not true necessarily for millennial Mormons and below. Um, proselytizing is so important right now. There are 51,000 Mormon missionaries out there sharing the Mormon gospel. Outward appearance is very important to Mormons. They tend to dress nicely. The women tend to wear makeup and uh, their behavior is going to be very kind. They might lean in when you talk and their behavior, um, they consider nice behavior to be Christian. So they'll tell, they'll, they'll determine whether you're Christian by how nice you are. And sometimes Christians aren't always very nice. So that's something you need to be careful of when you're dealing with Mormons. They dress modestly. Why? Because temple Mormons wear garments underneath their clothes. And that means that their shorts or anything they wear has to be to their knee or below. And for women, it has to be capped sleeve. They can't wear sleeveless. So they're very offended often if Christians have a bare midriff or they're wearing something that seems immodest to a Mormon, that's offensive. So stay away from things that you know are offensive to Mormons. Achievement is very important to them. It's a works-based religion. We call it performance-based religion. So they're going to be hardworking, industrious people, probably up early, with lots of children doing lots of work and probably exhausted. Um, this number six family is everything to Mormons. When you think of Mormonism, you think of families, large families, close families. This one thing draws more people to Mormonism than anything else. They preach a perfect family. They preach a family together in this life, together in the next life, a family forever. If you get married in a Mormon temple, um, sealed, they call it. You can be sealed for this life and for the next life. And their families are wonderful examples. And so many people with broken families in their past get drawn to Mormonism. Let me give you a quick example. I had a phone call two weeks ago from a woman in the military, young woman, um, married with a young child, and she was in an abusive marriage. Well, somebody Mormon in the military uh, opened their home to her and allowed her to live with them so that she could then leave this man. That's typical behavior and many people get drawn in. She grew up Christian. She knew in her head the doctrine isn't right, but the people were so good to her. And so you're going to find wonderful people and you need to be wonderful people if they're going to be drawn to your faith. Um, they have LDS scripture, three books in addition to the Bible that trump the Bible, and they have a living Mormon prophet whose words trump the Bible. Most converts come from traditional Christianity, I would say nominal Christianity, people that don't know the Bible, but they've heard of Jesus and they want a perfect family. 
Mormons dislike and avoid contention. You are not going to be able to get up in their face and argue with them. That is not going to work. That will be the end of your conversation with them. They have an allegiance to the Mormon church that they consider to be the only one true church on the face of the, the earth. They believe their Mormon prophet speaks for God for all of the earth and that he has 12 apostles. They have the priesthood and they have authority. Mormons also have sacred things to them that are kept from the public, such as covenants that they make in the temple. So avoid these things, and then we'll talk about what to do instead. Avoid these things in conversation with Mormons. Avoid contention. The Book of Mormon says contention is of the devil. So if you get any into any kind of back and forth with them, or you're at all aggressive, they're going to just go, devil, I'm done, right? And if they default immediately to their Mormon testimony. I know the church is true. I know Joseph Smith is a prophet. I know you know you've shut the door on trying to witness to them. You're going to have to be much more kind and humble and gentle. And I will tell you how to do that. That is comfortable with them. You're going to avoid behavior that LDS consider disrespectful or unkind, like I said, the dress. And we are different from other ministries to Mormons in that we tell you to avoid to talk about things like polygamy. So Mormon scripture says polygamy is an eternal principle, but you don't want to go there. That's offensive to them. There are 26, 27 scriptures that say dark skin is a curse in the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price. You don't want to talk about that with them. That's going to be a, offensive and shut the door to any good conversation. DNA evidence. So the Book of Mormon says that the Book of Mormon people came from Jerusalem and sailed to the Americas, Mesoamerica, about 600 B.C., well, there's no DNA evidence that there are Jewish folks, you know. So Joseph Smith's character, he often took other men's wives. You know, polygamy was a big mess. He did some counterfeiting of money. He had a bank. Um, Brigham Young then, the next prophet of the Mormon church, had 54 wives. These kind of things to talk about with Mormons will not make any progress. They will see you as an anti. And um, what you want to do is offer a God of grace, something that they want to come to, not something they want to run away from. I honestly... I'm not as concerned about getting people out of the Mormon church as I am about getting them saved, right? Getting them born again and the Holy Spirit will totally, totally work with them. You're going to avoid scripture other than the Bible. So if the Mormon missionaries come to your door, they're going to keep trying to get you into the Book of Mormon. This is what I say to them. But wait. I believe the Bible, you believe the Bible, it's the one thing we have in common, so we'll just stick to the Bible, right? I don't, I can't trust the Book of Mormon, I don't know the Book of Mormon, so um, the Bible has some wonderful things in there. Allie said she likes to say pray, so I say pray scripture, right? Pray that God will show you Within your sphere of influence or some Mormon that you already know, who, who God's already working on softening their heart. I prayed this prayer one Monday night when I was a new Christian because I was in a Bible study and they made us pray this. Oh God, show me who you're already working with within my sphere of influence. I went to work the next day as a professor, right? I go down this hall and this colleague of mine goes, Hey, you, come here. I dreamed about you last night. Okay, this is the day after my prayer, right? I'm thinking, oh, I'm sure this has nothing to do with anything. She tells me this dream, and then she tells me she's 
seeking a, a personal relationship with Jesus and she thinks God's sending her to me. Here's the freaky thing. I'd worked with that woman four years and I had no idea she was a Mormon. She was an inactive Mormon seeking a relationship with Jesus. God supernaturally connected her to me. And I was probably the only woman within her sphere of influence that could help her sort the doctrinal yuck. What an awesome God we serve. But I prayed that prayer, right? And he delivered. Pray that God will break the spirit of blindness over believers. Unstop their ears. Open their eyes. Take them from death to life. Remove the veil over their heart, their mind, their understanding, the Bible says. Just literally take scripture and pray it over them. And of course, with Mormons, you're going to have to pray for an attitude of love and compassion that you're not going to get frustrated and that you're not going to get contentious and that they won't sense any contention. And then pray that they will come to trust the Bible as the infallible word of God. Mormons believe the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, all three of their unique scriptures came directly from Jesus himself. But the Bible is corrupt and has been mistranslated in many places, but they don't know where and when. So as a Mormon, I never trusted it. That's going to be a huge thing you're going to need to deal with in loving Mormons. Okay, our scriptures say that God is always at his work, 24-7. What's his work? His work is drawing people to Jesus. Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, right? They're, his work, 24-7, is drawing people to Jesus. He is drawing Mormons to Jesus right now. It was at one time, the fastest growing religion, that is not true just within recent years. You would be amazed at the people flooding out of Mormonism. We honestly don't know how many, but our estimates are as many as maybe 300,000 a year, maybe as many as they baptize now they're losing. Um, that is a mission field, not just for us, but for you. Many Mormons questioning their faith. Why? Because they can get on the internet and learn all kinds of things about Mormonism that they have not learned through their faith. And, oh, COVID was wonderful. Not having to go to the Mormon church, a lot of those people started watching pastors, and I got lots of calls. So how do you open a conversation with a Mormon like you do anybody else? Um, tell me about your faith. I'm curious. Mormons love to talk about their faith because they're going to see you as somebody who might be interested in joining, right? So you can say, do you mind if I ask you a question about your faith? And you can ask them something like, you know, in Jerusalem, there was one temple, right? But you, you as Mormons have lots of temples around the world. So can you tell me why you have lots of temples and there used to be just one temple? I mean, there's a million questions you could ask them that will open the door for them to talk to you. Um, this book by Greg Kokel, Tactics, is some different tactics you can use when you're witnessing to different groups. The only tactic in that book that's going to be effective at all with Mormons is called the Columbo tactic. And basically it's just using questions. So in higher ed, we call that the Socratic method, right? Using questions rather than um, making statements. So with a Mormon, you're going to never make a statement when a question will do. So I'll show you how this works. Why? Because this is non-invasive, non-in-your-face. The idea, though, you're going to choose specific questions that are going to present a conundrum. 
So you're going to present a certain Bible scripture that hits against Mormonism, and then you're going to have them read it or look at it. And you're going to say, I'm really confused because of what I think it said in the Bible. Do you mind reading it to me and explaining what you think this means? Well, what happens in Mormonism is their leaders do not point out the Bible scripture that hits against Mormonism. <laughs> I didn't know it existed until I started reading the New Testament in context a few years ago. So what you're going to do is just plant those seeds so that they'll be scratching their head. Wait, why would Jesus say something the opposite of what my prophet said, right? Very non-threatening way. Jesus was really good at this. Now, where are you going to get the scriptures? This is the source you want to go to. If you can even um, minimize your screen right now and go to um, the internet, you want to go to adamsroadministry.com and find the Bible topic guide list. What our ministries have done is identify 40 things that Mormonism teaches that are going to be different between Mormonism and Christianity. And then we give all the Bible verses that in reality refute that teaching. But I never say that to a Mormon. I just say, would you like to look at some verses to see what the God of the Bible has to say on that topic, right? So we're just we're just looking at something like priesthood. Mormon, Mormonism, uh, like Catholicism, believes in a priesthood that has authority from God. Well, there are all kinds of Bibles about priesthood and high priests. Mormons have high priests. My husband was a high priest for a long time. I died when I read in Hebrews, there's only one high priest. Excuse me? One high priest is Jesus? Oh, my goodness. So... A lot of what's in the Bible, Mormons will not be familiar necessarily with the things that hit up against Mormonism. And if they are, they're going to think in their brain, oh, that must be mistranslated because that's what they're taught. But right here, you have 40 things that Mormons believe and then all of the scripture, right? Now, if I do this with a Mormon missionary and I just go, well, that confuses me because of thinking something I think it says in the Bible. Do you mind reading it to me and, and telling me what you think this says? Well, if I do that several times right now, you've got this cognitive dissonance going on. Wait, wait, wait. Everything I'm teaching, there's like Bible scripture that goes against it. So the missionaries will usually say to me, well, you know, I just don't trust the Bible. Here's my next question. And I'm going to repeat this several times <laughs> throughout this training. Do you trust the words of Jesus? If you don't trust the words of the Bible, do you trust the words of Jesus? Never had a Mormon say no. And there are enough words of Jesus that directly refute Mormonism that you really have a problem if you start looking into it. Um, so then I just stick to the ones in this Bible topic guide list that come directly from the from the mouth of Jesus. And that can be um, quite disturbing to a Mormon after a while. Now, in order to witness to a Mormon, you're going to use two things. First of all, Mormons are very touchy-feely. They are taught um, that the way that you tell if something's true is to see how emotional it makes you. Like if it makes you cry, then it's the Holy Spirit telling you it's true. So they test truth completely on feelings. It's from their scriptures. So 
Christians, of course, know that the heart can be deceitful and all of that. You can't trust feelings completely. But because Mormons do, why not bear a heartfelt testimony of Jesus? Why not tell who you were before your born again experience, after your born again experience? Why not tell about a time that God showed up and freaked you out? Have you ever been healed? Um, did you ever have an answer to prayer? The kind of things you need to practice in order to talk to a Mormon are to tell these, what I call a feelings rich experiences and tell them in a story. Um, we Christians don't even pepper our conversation with God <laughs> a lot, let alone ever say to somebody, wow, you won't believe what God did today, right? Um, highly recommend that with Mormons. And my son who got saved on his Mormon mission literally today, he got saved 15 years ago. If the subject of Jesus comes up, he'll be in tears. That's how much it moves him to think about what God has done in his life. And I'm not sure we, we as Christians always appreciate that. And so I'd like you to think about that for one thing. So here's the Mormon scripture. It says, um, if it's right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you. Therefore, you're going to feel that it's right. That's how you tell if something's right. Of course, um, we Christians test things with the Bible. So bear a feelings-rich testimony of your relationship with Jesus, what difference he's made uh, before and after kind of thing. Okay. Here's why that's important. As a Latter-day Saint, I don't think I believe the Holy Spirit operated outside of Mormonism because we believed we were the one true church and that God spoke to our prophet and that prophet spoke to everyone around the world and that we had the authority and no one else did. We did not expect healings to happen. We did not expect answers to prayers to happen. We did not expect, you know, near-death experiences or whatever. Um, and I often will tell them some of those kind of stories from me. One of them was when I got saved, I knew I couldn't go back to BYU in the fall. I wasn't going to play a game. And if they found out, they were going to let me go right away because more the Brigham Young University, where I was tenured, was owned by the Mormon church. I'm standing in my living room in June. I know I can't go back to BYU in the fall. And in higher ed, it's usually a several month process through a search committee to get another job. So I thought there was no hope of a job in the fall. My phone rang. The lady on the other end says, I'm the dean of the College of Education at Florida Gulf Coast University. I'm living in Utah at the time. She was in Florida. She said, I have your curriculum beta in front of me and I'd like to offer you a job. I fall to my knees. I put the phone out here and I go, you can even get me a job I never applied for. Like, I didn't know God could do that. The God of Mormonism I knew all those years never did anything like that. And so now I have the opportunity to tell people those kind of stories that God is real and he's personal and he'll show up for you. And this is how he showed up for me, right? And people can, they can decide I'm crazy. Um, when I ended up at that university in, in uh, Florida, it was a secular university and I'm working with atheists and they laughed at me. They used to call me Utah. You know, how stupid were you to join the Mormon church? Oh, they only knew. Now I'm a crazy Christian, right? Um, so personal stories, how God answered prayer and, and feelings rich kind of things. Of course, the Bible says, oh, I love this. Okay, Matthew 15, 19. God actually lists the things that come from an evil heart. And one of them is false testimony. 
So I said to God, you mean I stood up at that Mormon pulpit and I cried and I said, I know Joseph Smith was a prophet and I know the Mormon church is true and I could be overcome with emotion and from my heart could come a false testimony. Absolutely right there in the scriptures. I love this. Proverbs, one who wanders from the way of good sense, or um, some versions say reason or sound judgment, will rest in the assembly of the dead. In other words, okay, use your feelings in faith, but you better not rely on feelings alone. You better use your brain because this God is smart enough to create science, <laughs> to hang the world together every morning. This is an amazing God and he's not stupid and he created all these things like reason and so he certainly can use them and he does in the Bible. So what we have is, I'll say to a Mormon, what if you could use both feelings and reason, logic or evidence and faith? So what if you had a feelings component and a scientific component in faith? Wouldn't that interest, would that interest you? Wouldn't that be a bigger faith than a faith that just relies on feelings alone to determine truth? Good question for a Mormon. Here's another good question for a Mormon. So tell me about the Bible. How important is the Bible to you? Do you believe it's trustworthy? Is it reliable? Is it the infallible word of God? If they're honest, they will say, oh, yes, we believe the Bible, but it's sometimes mistranslated. Okay, so one of the things you, you'll want to do, <clears throat> let me show you this from the Book of Mormon. This is talking about the Bible. In the Book of Mormon, it says many plain and precious things have been taken away from the Bible. And as a result, exceedingly many, great many do stumble in so much that Satan has power over them. That would be the Christians. To the Mormons, those are the Christians. The Christians took plain and precious things that Mormonism teaches, took them out of the Bible and corrupted the Bible. This is also Mormon scripture. We believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it's translated correctly. And then they say, we believe the Book of Mormon to be the word of God, most its most correct book on the face of the earth. So the Bible has a qualifier that it's only reliable when it's translated correctly. So one of the things I usually do in these trainings and we won't have time to do tonight is um, go through all the evidences for the Bible. It's just overwhelming. 30,000 archaeological digs for the Old Testament alone. I'll go over and I'll show Mormon all these amazing things that are fulfilled prophecies. There are all this manuscript evidence, linguistic evidence, geographical maps, DNA evidence, the animals, the plants, you know, all of that's been proven from the Bible. And then here's my question. Given that the linguistic, the secular historical, the archaeological, the prophecy, the geographic, the plant, the animal, the DNA, the internal consistency, and other evidences for the Bible are overwhelming from sources both religious and secular. Do you have similar evidence for the Book of Mormon? Now, I'm not being... I don't want to be unfair or dishonest, but that's a very real question. Most Christians know nothing about the Book of Mormon and wouldn't know if there was any evidence for it. But you have to assume if God created both books, he's going to make the evidence overwhelming for each of them if he did for the Bible, right? Those are things they never think about. And what you've do, done is just planted that seed so that they could think about that, right? You could even ask, 
So from Ezekiel 37, the Mormons always say the two sticks in one hand are the Book of Mormon and the Bible. Well, of course, Ezekiel 20, 37 tells us the two sticks in one hand are Israel and Judah. It says it right there. But the Mormons say it's the Bible and the Book of Mormon. So then there should be similarities, right? And you can uh, ask about those. Often when I do these trainings, we go through 10 different of those 40 topics. We're only going to hit three tonight, um, and I'm just going to hit basics. So one of them is who is Heavenly Father? So we're, so we're going to talk to Mormons about the nature of God. Who is Heavenly Father to you? They call him Heavenly Father. They don't call him God. Tell, tell me about him. So as they tell you about their heavenly father, you will have all these scripture verses that you can go to and, and ask them what they think about that. The Mormon heavenly father is not a spirit. He has a body of flesh and bone as tangible as man's. This is Mormon scripture. That body, that physical body limits him and confines him to space and time. So you can see that he cannot be omnipresent. If he can't go anywhere, he's confined to a body. He also has a wife and probably multiple wives. And so he needs to eat and sleep and have sex. Those are characteristics of the Mormon Heavenly Father. He was not always God. He started out as a spirit child. So he had a beginning as a created being. He was, he, there was a Heavenly Father and a Heavenly Mother. They had sex. He was the child of a heavenly father and a heavenly mother. He lived in a pre-existence. He eventually earned the right to come to earth and to a earth somewhere. And then he did all these righteous things so that he progressed and became a God. That is typical. That's called eternal progression in Mormonism. And every Mormon man with a temple recommend might be able to do the same thing and have their own world in the next life. That is not a Christian. That's not from the Bible. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in Mormonism are three separate gods. So um, they actually kind of laugh at the Trinity. Heavenly Father in Mormonism is married to Heavenly Mother and probably several Heavenly Mothers. He teaches that the way you get eternal life is through obedience and laws to the ordinances of Mormonism and that you need to go to a Mormon temple. And in order to go, go to a Mormon temple, you have to earn a temple recommend. In order to get a temple recommend, you have to pay your tithing for at least a year, hold a calling in the church, attend your meetings, live a health code, wear your temple garments. There's all kinds of uh, like mosaic law kind of things you have to do. We know our God of the Bible is a spirit that makes him free to be all places at once, to hear all prayers at once, to answer all prayers at once. And because he can be all places at once, he knows all things. In fact, he's known all things from the beginning and he has all power. So here's my question for Mormons. How have you reconciled the fact that the heavenly father of Mormonism and the heavenly father of the Bible are different? So they have different natures. Plus, they teach different ways to eternal life. Mormons have never been challenged, typically, with the idea that they have a different God and a different Jesus and a different gospel. And particularly in recent years, of course, their Mormon prophet is telling them they're Christians, too. When my husband and I joined Mormonism in 77, we would never have been called Christians. That would have been um, lowering ourselves. And let me explain. 
Mormons are greaters, Christians are lessers. And the reason that Mormons see it this way is Mormons have four books of scripture. Three of them are perfect. One of them is corrupt. Christians only have one book of scripture and it's corrupt. So we never called ourselves Christians. This started in the Mormon church where they started saying we're Christians too about the time that, Mar that uh, Romney was being groomed, I believe, uh, to run for president. Okay. If a Mormon says to me, well, I don't trust the Bible. My next question is, do you trust the words of Jesus? They always say yes. And you can go then directly to the words of Jesus. Here is the last how does one gain eternal life in your faith? In Mormonism, you have to use the term eternal life or exaltation if you're going to have a discussion with them about salvation. They have different levels of heaven and different levels of salvation. Only eternal life is the top one. So if you want to get to the highest heaven in Mormonism. It's called the celestial kingdom. You have to earn a temple recommend. You have to go to the temple. You have to go through four hours of ordinances in the temple. You have to continually go back to the temple and do all these good works till the end of life, much like Islam. And then if you've done enough, God's grace might kick in and save you. They won't understand necessarily how that differs from your grace, but they laugh at your grace by calling it cheap grace. You Christians just say, I'm saved, and then you go live like hell. Okay, so this is Mormon scripture, saved by grace, after all we can do, Book of Mormon. We believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. You're not saved by Christ. You're not saved by grace. You're saved by obedience to Mormon laws, and you have to do all you can do till the end of life. So think about this with Mormon friends. They are exhausted trying to create their own perfection stay on the right side of sin, do all the right things. Mormon women are supposed to have lots of children. It can be a, a harrowingly exhausting life. So a Christian friend can be a safe place to, for them to come, to share their frustrations, their weaknesses, their sins, their fear if you make yourself that safe place and if you're positive with them and point them to bible scripture and tell them that god's got this and and explain to them how to get saved the definition of eternal life in mormonism is to live forever as families in god's presence these are just some of the temple ordinances that are required like i said four hours of them and i didn't even list all the laws and commandments they just go on forever it's exhausting when i read this in the bible i was blown away god does not live in temples made by human hands we are taught in Mormonism that you're closer to God in a Mormon temple than anywhere else in the world. That's why Mormons go there. They're seeking him. They're seeking his spirit. Now, Mormons will say to you just in recent years, I, I believe I'm saved by grace. But every word that a Mormon says has a different meaning than yours. I've never, never, never found a word in Mormonism and Christianity that had the same. They are the same words, but they don't mean the same thing. So every time you talk to a Mormon about faith, you have to say, well, what do you mean by that? So if they say, if they're talking about the atonement, they don't mean Jesus died on the cross. The atonement for them happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. So you have to say, okay, so tell me what you mean by that. Okay, so who did that? And when do they do that? And when you have to really drill down. And grace is one of those issues. They love to say to Christians, I'm saved by grace. Mm, this is their definition. This is right from their website. 
grace cannot suffice without total effort on the part of the recipient. What, what, what? A Christian's going, what? It is by grace. So that's why it's by grace we're saved after all we can do. No, 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 no. There's no effort you can do to add to what Jesus did on the cross any fruit of being a Christian comes after salvation and it's done by the Holy Ghost, right? It's not for you to do that you might throw to God, that he might be pleased, that you might be saved. Mormonism isn't the only performance-based religion that teaches that kind of thing. Pew Institute did, um, did a study a few years ago that said something like 64% of Christians in the United States believe it's grace plus works. There's something you have to do to please God in order to be saved. That is not what the Bible says. So I'll show the Mormons some of those scriptures and then say, well, what do you think Paul meant when he said that grace is a free gift and that it's not dependent on our works? Um, again, just make them the expert and let them read it and explain it to you. And if they say, I don't trust the Bible again, do you trust the words of Jesus? Okay, we're going to do our breakout sessions now. I don't know, Allie, if you want to do this or you want me to do this. Yes, I will. So um, on all of our e, &E trainings, we have a short time of having a small group discussion or role play. So as always, this is a lot of information, incredible content. And thank you, Lynn, for everything you shared. But we don't want you to just sit here and have it go in one ear and out the other. We, we actually want you to put this into practice that you can apply this to your life, hopefully, maybe even tomorrow or in the coming week. So I'm going to break you out into um, a group of four or five people each, and we want you to discuss this in your groups for four minutes. How does a wretched sinner gain eternal life with Heavenly Father? So I hope you were taking notes, hopefully, or maybe you'll even gain um, knowledge from hearing other people and their answers, but how would you answer that to a Mormon? So welcome back, everyone. I know that time is always so short. Um, but I hope you at least had a little bit of time to practice with one another, um, maybe discuss that topic of hand, maybe something that you learned. Lynn is looking through the chat right now to see if there's any questions that she wants to address before we close out. You had some very good questions, um, particularly the one about do Mormons, <laughs> well, is, is the word Mormon or Latter-day Saint more acceptable to you? So Lynn, I'll have you answer that one for everyone. Mormon Church came out within the last year or so and said, we just want you to say the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And news reporters came back and said, I'm not typing that out every time I talk about you. I'm just going to use Mormon. But uh -huh. the church does not like Mormon. They try to stay away from that, um, although it's still the Book of Mormon. They uh, prefer Latter-day Saint or a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you know, but it, you type anything Jesus related into Google and Mormonism sometimes comes up on the first two pages of the search. Um, mm -hmm. They certainly are working hard to be seen as Christian. Mm -hmm. So I hope you um, enjoyed that exercise. Boy, I wish we had time to go through a lot more scriptures, but this is the scripture that took me to surrender. John 5, 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, I thought, yes, I'm starting to do that, has eternal life. There is no working for it. Um, and will not be judged or some, some versions say, has already been judged or will not come under judgment, right? You're judged at the point of faith, at the point of salvation, you become saved and you're passed from death to life right now, right here. There's no crazy gerbil wheel working for it. Whoever believes in the sun has eternal life. Praise God. And that is really hard for Mormons to accept. Um, it's so simple. 
right? Mm -hmm. They also say to me, can it really be that simple? <laughs> yeah. So Lynn, um, I know we're a little bit over time, but I do want to address two questions that people have asked. Um, the first one Mark asked was, how can we answer these questions that you were proposing without sounding contentious to Mormons? Do you have um, a recommendation for how to so gently answer these questions without sounding contentious? I'll often say to them, um, if, I, if the Mormon missionaries are teaching me or I've asked a Mormon to tell me about their faith, then I'll often say back to them, you're confusing me because of something I think I read in the Bible. Do you mind if we go there and look at it? Mm -hmm. That is certainly much less contentious than saying, well, the book of John says, <laughs> you know, and they always feel like they're the experts in their faith. Why not make them the expert? Just um, bring that scripture to their attention ask them to read it out loud and tell you what they think it means. You don't have to even point out that there are conundrums in that scripture. They'll get it. And what you're trying to do is just plant a rock in the shoe, plant a seed so that they'll go home and say, whoa, why would Jesus say something opposite the Mormon prophet, right? Mm -hmm. So I taught diversity at BYU. And in 30 years of Mormonism, I didn't know there were 26 scriptures in the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price that said dark skin was a curse until my college students told me the Mormon church is very good at cherry picking this and ignoring this. And um, when I taught Mormon seminary preparing missionaries to go out, we had manuals and the church threatened me to stick to the manual. And if I ever didn't, they would, the kids would tell me and they would tell the bishop and then they, they removed me from the calling. So that's how kind of controlled the curriculum is. And when you trust them, you never think twice about that, but that's certainly a red flag. Wow. Yes. Um, and last question from Marg, and I know that you have a personal answer to this, but um, for Mormons converting to Christianity, are you shunned off from the Mormon community or from relatives? Often. So um, Leah Remini's series on Scientology, when I watched that a couple of years ago, I was so triggered. It just made me sick because I was reliving a lot of those experiences. In order to keep a temple recommend, one of the questions is, do you affiliate with any individual or groups that teach something contrary to the Mormon church? Well, that would be every Christian out there. So if you're a temple recommend Mormon, you have to be very careful about your relationships with somebody like me. In Mormonism, the only people that go to hell, they call it outer darkness, are Satan, his minions, and then people who have denied the Holy Ghost, which means uh, once believed Mormonism, gone to the temple and then turned away from the truth. So people like me are the only people going to hell, right? So actually, you Christians have an in where I don't often. And yet what God uses us for is all oh, those Mormons questioning their faith, reaching out to us because I was once a BYU professor. They trust me. They know I once believed it right. And all our sons served Mormon missions. My husband was a high counselor. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit is currently rocking through the Mormon world. Many converts, I get phone calls pretty much every day with Mormons questioning their, their faith. So this is a time for Christians to step up and be that army and open their mouth like my Christian friends didn't for 30 years. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you for using what God has done in your life to teach people like us to share with people who used to be like you. Um, if you have more questions, if you want to learn more about this religion um, and and how to reach them, Lynn has given us her contact information, her email, her phone number, and especially her website, which is her ex-Mormon Christians United for Jesus ministry. You can find that at unveilingmormonism.com. 
highly recommend going to that website as well as reading or listening to her book, Unveiling Grace. I cannot recommend it enough. It's an incredible story. You learn more about um, her family, her four kids, and her son, Micah, who's the one who converted to Christianity while on his Mormon mission in Florida. He was trying to convert a Baptist minister. Sorry, I'm kind of spoiling it, but he was trying to convert a Baptist minister, but instead the minister pointed him to the scripture, encouraged him to read the New Testament, and then Micah encouraged Lynn, his mother, to read the New Testament. And here we are today. So praise God for that. And Micah's book took 15 years in the making and it just came out in June, sold out on Amazon in two hours and is number nine now under Christian apologetics on Amazon. And uh, why? Because God is rocking through the Mormon world. So I, I pray for an army of Christians to join us with this message, the grace message. Yes, absolutely. That book is called Passport to Heaven. You have been equipped and enabled to share the gospel with Mormons. And Lynn, I would love if you wouldn't mind closing us out in prayer this evening. Mm. Father God, thank you for what you're doing among the Mormon people. I pray that you may lay on the hearts of many Christian people to get to know them and love them and show the love of the God of grace to them that they might know that they can rest in Jesus and rest from their works, that the works that they will do after salvation come from a God, that he will bring them. He is the most amazing, amazing, real, personal God. We praise you and thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.